So back in 2005, uh, Tom Brady was really like on top of the world. Yes, 2005, he has been playing for that long. So at that point in his career, he had just won his third Super Bowl. Uh, he was making more money than he ever thought possible, and he had recently married a supermodel. And so by all accounts, he was like living the dream, which is what made his interview with 60 Minutes so fascinating because he confessed that he felt that there really needed to be more to life than what he was experiencing. And so they, they pushed in, they asked him, so what is that? What is this thing that you lack? He's like, I have no clue, but I really, really wish I knew. And Jesus is going to answer that question for us this evening. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time or have been away for a little bit, we are journeying through the gospel of Mark to better know Jesus. And, and in our text tonight, which is found in Mark chapter 10, we are actually introduced to like a first century Tom Brady, someone who had everything and yet still felt like something was missing. And he comes to Jesus trying to figure out what that is. And Jesus' answer is shocking, to say the least. And so, um, would you join me in Mark chapter 10? We're going to look at verses 17 through 28, from which we will see three things. We're going to look at uh, the longing, the solution, and the look. Okay? So, spoiler alert, uh, Jesus is going to tell this guy that, that to have what he's looking for, he needs to give away all of his wealth. And that has led some to think that Jesus is condemning uh, wealth and those who have it. Therefore, if you want to inherit eternal life, you need to be poor. You need to give away all of your stuff, which is wrong. Uh, and, and so before we dive into our text, we really need to make sure we understand how the Bible understands money and wealth. And, and the succinct way to talk about that is to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, which says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And the point is simply this, that money is not the problem. It's what our hearts do with money that causes all the issues. And, and that is a helpful principle, even in this passage. But it doesn't quite explain why when Jesus says that it is easier, in verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, why the disciples were so astonished. And here's why we need the cultural context of the first century. They understood money a lot differently than we do. Uh, if crime shows have taught us anything, it's that the people that have buku bucks have gotten those wrongly, right? They have been deceptive or crooked or what have you. In Jesus' time, the exact opposite was true. If you had a lot of money, if you were wealthy, it was assumed that you must be a righteous person. And the logic kind of went something like this. Since God is in control of everything, and since God would never bless the wicked, if this guy over here has money and wealth, then he must be a righteous guy because he has experienced God's blessing. And so they saw money as an indicator of your acceptability to God. And that might sound kind of silly to you, but I actually think we see things very similar to that. Um, sometimes we will look at our life, we will see us trying to follow God to keep his commands, and we will think to ourselves, yeah, I really deserve more from God than this. He should be blessing me with better grades. I should be more popular with people. Or the flip side will be true. We'll look at our life and say, man, things are going great. 
God and I must be good. Either way you slice it, we're buying into this idea that, that uh, our wealth, however you define that, is directly linked to our righteousness or our, our, our goodness between us and God. And this is the context that our, our protagonist, if you will, finds himself. And our text, when you piece it together, reveals that this guy is a rich, young ruler. He literally had it all. He was wealthy, powerful. Chances are he was good-looking, too. He had everything you could want, and everyone would have assumed that all was good in his life. And yet, like Tom Brady, there is just something gnawing away at him from the inside. He feels like there's something missing. And so you can almost imagine him going to the different teachers and rabbis saying, what am I missing? What do I need to do? And so he comes to Jesus, and he asks him the same question that I guess I would assume he's asked other people. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, FYI, eternal life is more than just length. It's not just everlasting life. It's quality of life. He's asking, Jesus, what do I need to do to have this ultimately fulfilling and satisfying life? I I just can't seem to get there. And, And this is how Jesus responds. I'm in verse 18. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And here's what he's saying. God has what you want. God is the only one who's good. He has this eternal life that you're looking for, which means you need to be good with God. So uh, how are you doing with those commandments? You keeping those commandments? And this really is not new territory for us, though we would probably say it differently. We would say that if we want to have a relationship with God, if we want to experience eternal life, what do we have to do? We must repent of our sins, right? We, We have to repent of the wrongs that we've done, the commandments that we have not kept. And so, so part of the answer is we have to repent of our bad things, our wrong things, but honestly, the guy's response to that is, is rather um, audacious, I think is the word I want to use. Verse 20, here's how he responds to Jesus' statement. Teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. That is a bold claim. Uh, and and I've got to be honest, when we, when we read this, right, we kind of roll our eyes at this guy. It's like, listen to this arrogant guy like claiming to have kept all these commandments. What an idiot. And yet, I I would encourage us not to be too hard on this guy. Uh, Think about yourself for a minute. A lot of you go to a Christian school. Moreover, you have grown up in the church. My guess is that if you examine your life, in your mind, there really isn't a lot that you need to repent of. Yeah, you've messed up here and there, but generally speaking, you're doing pretty good. You've been keeping the big commandments anyway. And so... Like, but like this guy, you too, my guess is, if you really pressed in, your life feels like you're missing something. And so Jesus is about to point out what that is in verse 21, and it's a doozy. Jesus looks at the guy, and he says to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come, follow me. Now remember, Wealth is not the problem here. 
there's nothing wrong with money, but, but wealth symbolizes something for this man. It's his, it's his proof of righteousness, right? His wealth is the proof that he's a good person. In, in his mind, it is the result of all the good things that he has done. It's his security blanket. Jesus is inviting him to repent of his good things. And this is what happens. Verse 22, when he, hears, when he heard this, he became disheartened. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The text tells us that he went away sorrowful. We could even translate that to a deeper anguish and say that he was deeply distressed. Why? Because money was not just money for him. Money was at the core of his identity, his significance, his satisfaction, what made him him was wrapped up in his possessions. And Jesus has just asked him to surrender the one thing that gives him a semblance of satisfaction. See, what needs to happen is not just for him or us to repent of our bad. We also have to repent of the good things in our life that have taken God's place. And this is really where we kind of get tripped up and forget about. Uh, it happens to me too. Like I, I was recently in a spot a few months ago where I just, I felt like something was missing. I just couldn't just place my finger on it. And so like I was going through like, where am I messing up? Where am I messing up? Is there anything bad I need to repent of? And I couldn't find anything. Not that I wasn't messing up, but just there was nothing glaring. And come to realize that what I needed to repent of was not something bad, but something good. That I had um, taken some good things and built my worth and identity on them rather than, than God. See, see, what happens is you and I, we, we become aware that, that there's this longing in our heart, and we try to fill it. We try to fill it with a number of good things, money, grades, athletics, popularity, intimacy, etc., etc., and then we come to Jesus, and we're like, Jesus, we've done a really good job of kind of like filling this in, but there's a few empty spots. Would you mind just like working your magic and closing the gaps for us? And what Jesus says is no. No, I'm, he's the only thing that goes there. We have to cut out the other stuff that we've tried to satisfy, satisfy our hearts with to make room for him and the eternal life he offers. That's what he's telling the guy. And so the solution is to give up that thing that is most central to your sense of worth so that you can find the satisfaction that you've been looking for. And if I am honest with you guys, that's kind of devastating news. Um, because your heart's really invested into those things. Which is why Jesus' look is so important in this passage. See, sometimes I think we have this idea that every time Jesus interacted with someone, he was like, it was like a verbal joust, and he was just waiting to put like the finishing touch on, the checkmate move. And like, so this guy, after he admits that like, he keeps all the commandments, like we imagine Jesus get this smirk on his face, like, ha ha, I have you now, you hypocrite. But that's not what happens at all. Look at verse 21, a little closer. Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have, and give it to the poor. He says this, not to put the guy in his place, but because he loves him. 
And that is amazing because I have both been this guy and have been around people like this guy. We are very difficult to love when our longing is in full gear. And yet Jesus is filled with a deep care and compassion for this man, which is why he shares this with him. Jesus in this passage is, is like the doctor who shares what needs to be told, not what the patient wants to hear. And you might be thinking, Cale, that is true, but regardless of how Jesus felt toward the guy, it doesn't change the fact that he crushed him. The man went away sorrowful. And that's true. And please don't, please don't assume that what, what I am challenging us to do from this text is easy. It's not. It hurts a lot. It's very painful. Here's why you should do it, though. Because Jesus did more for us. Jesus doesn't ask of us anything that he has not done in greater measure for you. You know, this Friday is Good Friday, and we're taking the time to remember Jesus' death on the cross. And part of what is intended to blow us away on this day is the fact that Jesus was the ultimate rich young ruler, that he had immeasurable riches. He had glory and joy, incomprehensible. And he gave all of that up so that you and I might have eternal life. And so, so here's the point that I'm trying to get across. King Jesus is going to ask a lot of you. He's going to ask you to give up things that you have built your life on other than him. And that is very difficult to swallow. But I am begging you, do it. Look him in the eyes. See his great love for you and do it. Mm -hmm.